find your seat. I want to encourage you to get out your scripture journal or your app, whether you're on paper or whether you're using pixels this morning. I want you to have God's Word in front of you as we continue the series on what it means to be rooted in Christ. We launched this series with a big question, what's forming you? And as we've been moving through this, we've been working our way literally by verse through this this letter, which is what we have in the book of Colossians, we call it a book, but it's, it was a letter written to a church. Paul is the one that wrote this letter. He wrote it to a church that he had not yet had the opportunity to be there in person. And so he is sending his, his wishes, his prayers, his encouragement, his teachings ahead of him. And this is his desires for this church and his desires for us as we are rooted together. I'm glad that you're here today for this one, because today we're going to talk about what it means to be in the mission of Christ. But before we do that, there's a lot of energy in this room today. I love the excitement. I love the fact that we're going to have our fellowship in the second hour. Uh, Stephen Trussell really encouraged me when I walked in today. He said, how do you expect us to listen to you with kettle corn going on? And I said, well, it's no different than when they used to serve sleepy time tea at the coffee spot. So we're all, it's all uphill. But since today is a special day and lots of energy, tomorrow's uh, Halloween, um, I've shared this with you before, but I just think they're so funny. I want to go back to it. There's a, there's a uh, nightmare fear factory haunted house in Canada that's gone viral because they've gone through and they've set up a camera with a strobe light on it at one of the scariest parts of the haunted house. And their claim to fame is how many thousands of people have tried to make it through the haunted house and failed to make it through the haunted house. So I've never actually been there, but I love these pictures because they, at the scariest part, they flash a, a strobe light and take a picture of people when they're at their most most afraid. And I've shared some of these before, so here's my promise to you. These were all taken the past month, okay? So these are fresh. You haven't seen these before if you've seen me do this bit before. So here we go. Just want you to see, here's a courageous gentleman right there. You know, it, it, it's good to be on the internet sometimes. Um, so I don't know what they've got going, but he's, he's got jazz hands. He's ready. Next one is this. Also a proud man. I love this. I, I think this is prayer going on <laughs> this moment. Another one's this. He's got the all-protective hoodie on. That was his plan going in. This one... This, I like this one because they're in this together. This is the church. Now, I share that one just because I love them. They're funny. But here's what I want to share with you today. I think that there is a topic and there's an issue inside church that if we were to set up a strobe camera looking back this way or we were to sit down and have a conversation and... When I show you the next word, the next topic, we would have reaction like this. It makes Christians, lots of us, 
sort of quake and get real nervous and get real awkward. So you ready? So we've set up a camera, so I'm going to take a picture of you now, okay? Now, here's the word. It's this. Yeah. Makes us feel a little awkward, doesn't it? Some of us have memories growing up that this word was equated to a practice called door knocking, which meant you had to walk up to strangers' doors, knock on them, and to engage in a conversation about your faith. And what I want to suggest is that we've lost something in our courage, in our sense of mission when it comes to evangelism. Now, if you're not familiar with the word, evangelism simply means sharing good news. In fact, it's not a particularly uniquely Christian word. It has become that, but it was originally the idea that any time a victory was won, the conquering, the victor, would send messengers ahead and they would bring good news. Because the Caesar, the emperor, the general, whoever it is, had won the battle. And so this word, to be an evangelist, or to be evangelism, simply meant bringing the good news of the victory. This is what Paul, the author of our letter, has dedicated his life to. He had originally been a combatant of this message. And then he encounters Jesus in a powerful way, comes face to face with the risen Lord, and that totally reorients his world, changes his direction completely, and he becomes a diehard evangelist sharing the faith every chance he gets. And so every time he introduces somebody else to Jesus or plants the idea of a church somewhere, he wants this idea being right at the heart of it. And so we're going to look at a passage today where Paul is picking up on the very mission of Jesus and trying to communicate, here's how a rooted church, here's how rooted people are to be. If you're going to be rooted in Christ, this should come as natural, not fearful. Paul picks up this idea. If you want to make a note, Luke chapter 19, verse 10. This is the words of Jesus, and Jesus is referring to himself here. And in these words, he says, For the Son of Man, that's our self-reference of Jesus, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's the claim. That's the message. That's the victory. That God has shown up on the scene. And much to our surprise, he has not shown up mad. He did not show up as the parent that caught you sneaking out one night. He's shown up with love to seek and to save the lost, and Paul has bought into this mission 100%. And so now he's going to move the conversation with this church in Colossae, and he's going to give us about five, ver- or five verses here. And they're going to, it's going to be a short reading today, but these are very practical verses. These are very tangible verses. 
And so the question is not going to become, do we understand them? The question is, will we put them into practice? Colossians chapter 2. I'm sorry, Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. This is Paul. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now, what Paul is doing is he is laying out a battle plan. And he is inviting the Colossian Christians to join him in that. Now again, he has yet to actually meet them. But he hears about their faith. He knows that God is at work among them. And he says, now... I want you to join me. And he gives a plan for rooted people to follow. And if we're going to be a rooted church, and you're going to be a rooted person, then this is what Paul wants you to be open to. And he's going to talk about opening things up. So let's just go right back to the very beginning. He says, it says in verse 2, Continue steadfastly, in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So he's already talking about prayer. And then watch what he does in verse 3. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word. Now, you honor me all the time because will you pray for this? And you give me a prayer request. And I take that so seriously. Here's Paul. I mean, Paul's the guy that writes the book, okay? He's the predominant, predominant author in the New Testament. And here he is reaching to this small church and he says, I want you, I need you to pray for me. He is inviting them into this ministry. Now, he asked for them something very specific. And this is something that Paul asked a lot throughout his letters in the New Testament. Notice, he says, pray... For doors to be open. Now, just a reminder. Paul is praying this from a prison cell. Now, if I were to pray that prayer, I would pray for a certain door to be open. There's one door that I want open. God, get me out of jail. That's not Paul's prayer. Paul is saying, I want you to this church. I want you to this church here today. I want you to join me in this. And I want you to pray that God provide more opportunities for me to do the very thing that put me in jail. Does that make sense? He's saying, jump on this journey with me and you pray that I would be bold and that God would open doors. And so here's the first thing I want us to do. We pray open doors for God's word. What Paul is saying is, you want open doors? 
you want opportunities, you want a moment where you can speak for Jesus, you pray open those doors. Not pray to open. Prayer is the means by which doors open. That's what Paul's telling them. Think about it this way. If we're going to be rooted people, then we need to talk to God about people before we talk to people about God. We need to be a praying people. This is why, if you'll notice in our Vision 5, one of our aspects of the vision is that we are praying for a harvest of baptisms. We want prayer to precede the work of God. We are asking for doors to open up. And doors that we don't even expect are already becoming open because God says, pray for them to come open. Even doors that look like they're locked shut and tight and could not be opened by any humanly possible means. Paul says, you pray that those doors come open. There's no door that God doesn't have the ability to open up. If God can open the locked tomb of Jesus, what door do you think gives him pause? And that's what Paul is passionate about. He wants everyone to come to know Jesus. And what he knows is the process by which you get there is rooted people pray. And they pray for doors to be opened. They pray for the opportunity to proclaim the word. They pray for an opportunity to share and speak with Jesus. And they are praying. This is true all throughout the New Testament. And it's even been true in history. You can, let me show you a picture. This is a picture taken from the the 1950s, early 1950s. And it's a picture of Duncan Campbell. He's the, the pastor in the middle that you see. And a revival in 1949 began in the Hebrides Islands, which is islands right off the the west coast of Scotland. And prior to this revival, it was a dry place spiritually. Like, nobody young was going to church. The church was dying. And these two sisters, this is Peggy and Christina, and they, they're 84 and 82, and Peggy's blind. And they don't even have the strength to make it to church, but they begin to pray. And they pray day after day after day after day for revival. Then God places on heart that they need to get some more people involved. And so they go to their local church, and they talk to the leaders there, and they say, We've got this burden from God. We want you to pray also. And so a group of seven men, leaders in that church, get together um, in a barn two nights a week. And so at one end of the town where the sisters live, they're praying at the other end of the town where they gather at a barn and these men would be praying. And the, the, guy, the men would take sort of the early shift, I guess. And they would go off to about 11 o'clock in the evening. And then the ladies would take over. And they'd go to about 2 or 3 in the morning. Praying for revival. After three months, the doors began to open. And you can read about this famous, this famous revival, but first a couple of hundred people showed up to church. 
then it doubled to 400, then to 600, then 800. This is not a vastly populated place. And it just kept going and growing. And young people returned to church in droves because two ladies began to pray. I, I know this is so true. I, you've heard me talk about her before, but one of the ladies that have influenced my life so much is Jane Lee. And I'm going to share her story again because we have so many new people here that you may not have heard me talk about her yet. But Jane Lee spent most of her life as a missionary in South America with her husband. And they shared the gospel of Jesus. They were evangelists. And when that time in their life came to an end and then her husband passed away, as she grew grew she her body may have grown weaker, but her spirit and her faith did not. And Jane Lee was a giant of a woman. And she was fierce. And if you knew her, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But I would run into Jane Lee each Sunday morning. And she'd say, I've been praying for you. And when she said that, she meant that morning she'd been praying for me. And she didn't mean that she got in her car and drove here and said a quick prayer for me. She'd gotten up at 4.30 in the morning to pray for the words that I was going to share, to pray for you that was going to be occupying the seats, pray for anybody that would be watching online. She was just praying. She was just praying and praying that God would open doors. And God did. And, and I would encounter people on any given Sunday that said, wow, that sermon must have been written just for me. And I knew it wasn't something that I had done. It's because Jane Lee had been praying for God to open a door, and God did. He opened a door into that person's heart at that moment. We pray open these doors. We talk to God about people before we talk to people about God. He goes on. Look at me back, back at verse 2 and 3 again. I'm sorry. Uh, make it verse, uh, verse 5. He says, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. So Paul changes from you pray for me to now here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray open doors and now I want you to walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. That's an interesting phrase. He's saying, I want you to be proactive and on alert. He's saying, I want you to go into your day with an intention. This is how you make the best use of time. You, go, you walk into something intentionally. So I want you to walk in, be proactive, and as you get up in the day, I want you to have a certain mindset. And here's the mindset. I want you to be open to, for opportunities to share Jesus. You're praying for open doors, and once you're praying for them, I want you to be on the lookout for them. You will find what you're looking for. Several years ago, I mentioned this principle that what you're looking for, you will spot. And I offhandedly said that today when you drive home, pay attention and see how many red pickup trucks you see. And by the time I got home from lunch, I had five text messages of people sending me pictures of red pickup trucks. It will happen again today, I promise you. Because when you start looking for them, 
you start seeing them. And he says, rooted people are always paying attention. And you're listening. And you're looking for an opportunity to put a word in for Jesus. And what you need to understand is, you are far more strategically placed by God in whatever context you're in than I am to reach those around you. God has you there for a reason. God has you in that family for a reason. God has you in that job for a reason. God has you living on that particular street for a reason. God has you in that apartment for a reason. And there are opportunities around. The problem is most of us do not wake up in the morning with this on our mind. We are not sensitive to how God could possibly use us into the doors that he could be opening. And we kind of grow numb to those opportunities. Paul is saying a rooted person is open to it. And I want to be open. And I just want to give you a couple of tips. These aren't from the scripture. I just want to give you a couple of sort of pro tips on what to pay attention for. Whenever you're interacting with someone, if they express that there's something new or not in their life, and here's what I mean by that. If it's new, they're new to the area, they're new to the job, they're new to your school, they're new to your street, they're having something new occur in their life, such as, They've just gotten married. They just had a child. There's been a transition. If anything's new, there's an opportunity. People are far more open in that moment to hear a good news message, to hear where you're coming from with your faith. Or the other one is the not. If it's not going well for them, there's something going on in their life. They're walking through a hard season, they're experiencing an illness, they've experienced a tragedy. There's an opportunity for you to speak a word into that. And if we will start paying attention and listening for those opportunities, praying that God open doors, it will be amazing. You will be amazed at how many opportunities come your way. Some of you are sitting here today. Some of you are part of church today because somebody took an opportunity at a moment in your life to speak a word. They grabbed a hold of that and it redirected your entire life. And so, the last, last one we'll pick it up in verse 4. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. We're going to pray for open doors. We're going to be open for opportunities. And so the last one is you actually have to open your mouth and speak. Too many Christians think they're in the service of God, but they signed up for the secret service. God is calling us to open our mouth and actually speak. Now, I am for you serving and being kind and being Christian in your deeds. That is critical and vital. 
but it is a faith that we have this both in word and in deed is how we live it out. And I had not thought about this before, but as I was doing research preparing for this, I came across a teaching by my friend Rick Ashley, and he explained this in such a way that I just felt burdened to explain it with you as well. If we fail to speak words into our actions that explain why we do what we do, we run the risk of having a legalistic gospel. And here's, what, here's the example that he gave. If your neighbor is in trouble, if they experience a sickness, and you go over there and you mow the yard, and you take them a casserole, and you help feed them, and you take care of them, and they see all of that, but you never hear, they never hear the message, they never hear the reason that you have the faith that you have, you run the risk of communicating a legalistic gospel because the thing that they walk away with and could die with, the understanding is that church people are people that do good things and good people go to heaven. Not forgiven people. And so there's an opportunity to, to validate our deeds with our words. Open your mouth and speak. And Paul is very clear with this. In fact, he says, he says um, that you should always be gracious. So in our speech, we need to be gracious. Our speech needs to reflect the grace that we've come and received. Grace leads your words. And so when we express grace because we've experienced grace is what Paul's calling us to. And he says, now make your words seasoned with salt. Now, some of you have got salty language down great. That's not what Paul's talking about. He says, you be gracious and you're seasoned with salt because you need to understand when Paul talks about salt, he talks about salt in the terms of what they understood salt to be. Salt was valuable because it was both a seasoning and a preservative. It was the refrigeration of the day. Roman legions could be paid in quantities and rations of salt. So it was incredibly valued because what it did is it dynamically changed the flavor and it preserved the food against rot. Your words... Your presence in a situation can bring words of preservation against the rot that is the evil in our world. You may be in a place where you feel like you're the only one that's a believer right now. I, I want to encourage you with this. Perhaps in your office, on your sports team, in your choir, in your cul-de-sac circle in your division whatever it is that perhaps it would be rotting ten times faster were you not there speaking words of preservation and hope and Jesus into that this is what Jesus is saying when he says in chapter um, 5 of Matthew you are the salt of the earth your presence, your words, your message in any given situation prevents the rot and the decay 
that just tries to overtake. We will pray for open doors. We will pray open doors. Be open to the opportunities to share Jesus and open your mouth and speak. Here's what I want to do. I'd like to do just that right now. And I'm going to pray with you and for you. So I'm going to start a couple of prayers and we're going to have a couple of moments of silence as you have a conversation with God. And I'll go ahead and set it up this way. I want you to pray for someone that's on your heart that you're asking God to open a door for them somehow, somewhere for the word to come through. That will be the first one. And the second one is this. I want you to pray for God to open doors for you to be the one that walks through and takes the message. Unexpected doors. Doors that not right now are not even on your radar, but you're going to be open to them. Doors that may make you uncomfortable. I mean, you may have that moment where when it flies open, you may go, oh, this is not what I was hoping for. And we may want to shrink back like the guys in the pictures. And the last thing, pray for this. Give me the words to say. If you would, let's pray. Father, you invite us to pray open doors. So Father, for the next few moments, would you hear each person as we hold somebody to you, praying that you would bring somebody into, your, into their life and you would open a door for the message to come through. Father, now we ask that we would intentionally be moved out of our comfort zones in many ways. Father, we're going to ask that you would help us to see and respond to the opportunities that you're going to place in our way this week, Father, over the next seven days that we would be attuned to that, Father. 